Mark chapter number 12, if you will, and we're down now here through verse number 13. So we're going to pick up here and uh, we're going to uh, just uh, go a little bit here tonight and then uh, we'll uh, be on our way. Uh, we're here at verse number 13, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. So we have seen up to this point where the leadership of Israel came in and uh, back in chapter 11 there, and uh, they've come in and they've, they're, uh, at, they've questioned his authority. And re- again, we're just before the cross. The, the chief priest and the elders, they are the leaders of the nation. The scribes are the Bible's teachers, uh, scribes, they, the writing. So they, they would uh, be involved in that way. So they question the Lord, and what they're doing is they're trying to catch him in his words. They're trying to shut him down is what they're going to try to do here. And really, again, it's demonstrating to them, <laughs> the Lord shuts them down. They're trying to shut him down, build a case, and do all, and he just comes in and just shuts them down there in chapter 12, uh, 12 verse 12, and they, the, uh, they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. So, he again, he's just demonstrated to them that they are apostate, and that the father is going to take the kingdom away from the kingdom authority away from them, give it to the little flock. So now in verse thirteen, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians, and again to catch him in his words. By the way, if you look at verse the end of verse 12, and they left him and went their way. So it's basically, uh, all right, who's next? Who's up next? So when they shut him down, when he shuts them down, then it's like, okay, who's next type of a thing. So when, and that's really where we are here now is the, it, here's the next group, uh, kind of like the next man up, if you will. And verse 13, Mark 12, 13, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. If you come over to Matthew 22. Good evening, guys. Matthew 22. Good evening. Lurch. If you look at Matthew 22, verse 15. Matthew twenty two fifteen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And that's what they're doing. They don't come to seek an answer. Go back to Mark 12. They don't come to seek an answer out of a desire to know and genuine heart and so forth. But rather they come to entangle him. They come to embarrass him. Mark 12, 13. They come to catch him. They're going to come to build this case up here that, uh, that they're going to use against him over here to kill him. They don't care about what he says. Rather, they're trying to get something on him so that, he, so that they can nail him with it. And when the Herodians and the Pharisees, 
when the Pharisees and the Herodians get together, you know something's up. And you know something bad is going on. Okay? The Pharisees, again, they are the right-wing, conservative, fundamental, Bible-believing group. So they're in the far right wing. The Herodians, uh, the word uh, you see the name Herod there, they are a sect of the Jews who join Rome. Okay, and what they do is they say we're gonna go, we're, we're going to go along to get along. We're just doing what we want to do so that every, we can kind of keep the peace. And they are literally a part of the political system. They're the politicians. Uh, that they're part of that political system of Rome that's oppressing Israel. So you got the right wingers and you got the left wingers together. And again, what can bring those two groups together? They don't like each other. They don't go have coffee together. They don't have tea together. They don't go eat lunch together. They're opposite ends of the room but yet the purpose of attacking the Lord brings them together they their hatred for the Lord is so severe so just intense that two groups that don't like each other are now together verse 18 we'll get down here then came unto him the Sadducees which say there is no resurrection and they ask him saying Here's the religious liberal. Again, left wing, these are the modernist guys. These are the, the rational uh, guys. Uh, then in verse 28, and one of the scribes came and having heard them, so now we got a scribe. Matthew calls this guy a Pharisee, so now we're back in. But So you've got these groups, and you have these different uh, groups of leaders of that vain religious system. And they're trying to turn, they're trying to catch, they're trying to trick, they're trying to, to get him so that they can, they're trying to embarrass him, they're going to lie about him, we're going to get the false witnesses here in a couple chapters, and they come in, and all they're trying to do is build that case against the Lord so they can kill him. And their hatred, come over to John 15, their hatred is what gets these, these guys together. So the chief priests come in, they do their thing, the chief priests and elders and scribes, the leaders, he shuts them down. All right, next group, next wave, the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, what you need to see and understand here is, there, is the thinking behind these guys. Look at John 15, verse 21. Just notice the 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 thought process here uh, they're going to come in and again they have no concern about the truth they don't care about the truth their priority is their cause of catching him of entangling him john 15 we're in the upper room judas has just left off to go so we have the lord and the 11 apostles verse 21 john 15 21 but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So again, so he's talking about the religious leaders, but he's talking to the, the 11, the, that little flock there. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not 
they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. And that's really what this is going to boil down to, what the Lord is doing with them here in the conversation that we're in in Mark, is he's exposing their apostate, their hypocrites, their unbelieving, their uncircumcised in hearts and ears. This is who they really are. And he's exposing them by interacting with them. Verse 23, uh, He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had, had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Who do they hate? Well, the son says, they're, the, son, the, the Lord's looking at the 11. They're going to hate you, but just remember, they hated me first, and they really hated the father to begin with. They don't like this at all. Verse 25, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And that's the issue. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of the truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. They, and that is religion to the T. They are so deluded by their own religious system, religious way of thinking, they've the, the power that they've gotten, that they will literally go now and kill the Lord, kill the apostles, and they think that they're really serving God. It's how delusioned they are. It's how they, it, so that's their mindset. That's the attitude here when you come back to Mark 12. Before you do that, go to Luke 20. On your way back to Mark 12, go to Luke 20. And, and really, it's, that's important to remember here because they have such delusion that their attitude, their mindset, their thinking process is we're doing this serving for God's service. We're doing this for serving God. And the Lord's sitting there going, nope, you're not. You don't know what you're doing. So that's how they, these guys are all getting, the, getting together. Uh, look at Luke 20. In verse number 19. Luke 20, verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. So this is where we're at in Mark 12. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor now look at what they're going to do again mark 20, or matthew 22 they entangled his words but they feign themselves to be just men 
they're pretending to be something that they're not. And what, are the, what, is, their, what is their goal? That, uh, there's a political attack here. They're going to try to catch him now. Now go back to Mark 12. What the Pharisees and the Herodians are going to do is they're going to ask a question, okay, and it's going to be an issue that really has divided them, the Pharisees and Herodians. But now they're going to ask him to try to get him to offend the government. So then, then they can go to the government and say, insurrection, sedition, killing, 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 and try to get the government to kill him. They're going to use the government against him. So don't be surprised in our day, in the age of grace, that people are going to use what? The government to try to shut us down. It's just going to happen. It's a, a pawn in the, in the game. Mark 12, look at verse 14. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master. All right? Again, they're trying to get the government to get him, so they ask the question. Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teacheth the way of God in truth. That's all buttering him up. That's all flattery. It's all just, you know, trying to smooth over. Because is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, isn't that interesting? Notice the question. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Isn't that interesting? They didn't mean it. They don't mean it. They don't believe it. They'll argue amongst themselves about who they're going to give tribute to. But they're using the subject to catch him, to use what he says against him. So the question do we give tribute to Caesar or not? Well, if you say, if he says yes, then they would say, well, you're giving credit then to the Gentile governor over us, Rome over us, Caesar. And that's a violation of Deuteronomy 17 that says you'll have no king but the king that God gave you. Well, you just said now Caesar's our king. And see how they're going to twist him? They're just twisting it, see? It's really a kind of a crafty question. Because then if he says no, then what are they going to do? They're going to run to the governor and say, sedition, insurrection, lock him up. They think they've got him. They think they have him dead, dead to rights. So what's he going to do? Well, what does he say? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Verse 15, he knows their heart, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, he knows what was in their heart. He knows what they're doing. He doesn't, they don't fake him out. They don't do something that he wasn't aware of. But he says, go get a penny. Now, he doesn't directly answer the question. It's just the Lord is a marvelous individual here. He doesn't, and he doesn't, he does Let's use some common sense here. Bring me a penny. Verse 16, And they brought it. And he saith unto them, 
whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar. Now, by say, asking them that question, he has literally brought all of the sin of the nation of Israel to the table. Why was Caesar ruling over them? Why did they have a penny with Caesar on there? They should have had a penny with King David on it. Why? Well, because why are they praying tribute to the Gentile leader? Why, why are they? Because it, the nation has, they're in captivity. They're under the fifth course of judgment of Leviticus 26. Why are they in captivity? Because they have sinned. They didn't listen to the word of God. They didn't obey the commandments, and they have sinned. So wh why are they? He, he's just bringing them. He's bringing it right back in front of them. You guys are in apostasy. So common sense here, guys. Who's on the penny? Well, Caesar is. Verse 17, And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Who, sh who, do, who, are they, who should they belong to? God. He's like, guys, you give the Caesar to the Gentiles what belongs to them. You're supposed to belong to God, and you, so you go to, but they're not. They're in apostasy. They're, 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 not, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're underneath that fifth course of Gentile rulership. It started with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and it's extended out. So he uses common sense on them. He goes, guys, this isn't hard to figure out. Just wisdom applied common sense to the question. Who's on the penny? Well, Caesar is, and give it to Caesar. But you guys should be not underneath that. You should be over here because you belong to God. And they marveled at him. He left them speechless. He got us. How in the world did he do that? We thought we had him. We thought we had that age-old question of who do you give tax to? Who do you pay tribute to? We thought we had him right there, but man, he got us. They marveled. He left them speechless. So the Herodian... <laughs> And they marveled at him. Verse 18, then came unto him the Sadducees. It's interesting, from this moment on, you never hear about the Herodians ever again in the Gospels. They, they're like, nope, we're out. We're not going to go back up against that guy. They don't have, they don't, they're not in it for another fight. Now, the Pharisees aren't. They, they're... These guys, they have a little, they're a little more hard-headed. They didn't quite catch. They're going to come back for more here in a little bit. But Herodians, nope, we're not. So in front of the crowd, they're trying to embarrass him, and yet he's embarrassed them. So they're looking for the closest exit. How do I get out of here? How do we get out of here? They're in the temple. Chief priests, elders, scribes come in. He dismisses them. Next group comes in. I mean, I think about the room, you know, the chief priests, elders, and the big seats up front or up high, and they yell down at him, and he shuts them up, and they exit. And then the Pharisees and, and uh, Herodians stand up. He shuts them down. They exit. Now we've got the Sadducees. 
Now, he doesn't, an and he doesn't answer them directly. And that's what's fascinating here. He says, think about what you're asking. It's really a dumb question, guys. Who does the tribute belong to? Caesar. So you are verifying that you're under Caesar's control. That's what you're doing. I'm not going to give you any help so that you can get out of that sinful condition. Come over to Matthew 11. Now, he gave them a way out. So how do you get out from, un how do they get out from underneath Matthew 11? That yoke of bondage. What did they have to do? Well, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean on me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He just, that's a lifeline. How do you guys get out from underneath the yoke of the Gentile dominion? You acknowledge who I am. Who am I? I'm Messiah. He doesn't tell them to go rebel against Caesar. The answer is to submit yourselves to the plan and the word of God the Father right here, right now for you guys. Let's go do what God's doing. Trust me, and I'll take that yoke right off of you. Trust and obey me. Come, recognize me as who I am. Who am I? I am Messiah. Okay? So I am Messiah. That's what he says. All right? Not me, not Rick. Well, I could be. What do they what do they say doctors have? A God complex? I don't have one of those. Okay. Oh, do I? Well, I can get that. No, he didn't. I can I then I can't see you. Well, I got one of them in the truck. Okay. Go back to Mark twelve. We digressed real quickly there, brother. Mark twelve. You see, he, he's not going to, here in, in verse 17, so they marvel, render to God what belongs to God. Who belong to God? They do. They're not. They're under Caesar. So he uses common sense here. In other words, he's not bailing them out. He's already taught them, acknowledge me as Messiah, and you'll be, you'll be set free. They don't do that. Okay? They marveled. They are, again, ignoring the fact that the reason that they're in the situation they're in is their rebellion. He's demonstrating it over. Again, that thing in John 15, they if I didn't speak up, they wouldn't know they had sin. I spoke up. There's no cloak for this. There's no covering this up. They're in rebellion because what's fallen? The next thing on the program is wrath to fall, and it's coming. Why? Because the nation is in rebellion, and it's time, the 490 years is coming to an end, and it's time to nail them, clean, nail them, clean them up. Now, the next group comes, verse 18. Next group up. The Sadducees. Then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and they ask him, saying, now they're going to ask him a question, that they don't even believe in. Why? Because they believe there's no 
resurrection. So the old saying, uh, come over to Acts 23, because there's more to this old saying that we learned in Sunday school back in the day, was the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in a resurrection. Okay? Acts 23. So there's really more to it than that. Acts 23. The Apostle Paul here is uh, Acts 23.6. Paul is uh, before the Senate of Israel, the Sanhedrin, but really this is a Senate, so they're all there. And he says, verse 6, but when Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. So they're questioning him about preaching that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Now think about what Paul just did. Paul looks in the room and he says, oh, I got these guys. I'm on the hot seat for preaching resurrection. They believe it. They don't. So, hey, you guys are on my side, really, right? Because I'm a Pharisee and you believe in this. And you know, he's already split the room and they're not even in the discussion yet. But now watch verse 8. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. The Sadducees, they don't believe in anything supernatural. They are materialist. So when Paul says here, I'm preaching the resurrection, you guys over here need to join the argument because these guys, they don't believe in any of this stuff. So when you come back to Mark 12, and the Sadducees are now going to ask a question, they, they ask a question that they don't even believe in, because it's going to be about resurrection here, but they're asking it from an ivory tower position, academia. They're, they are the higher critics. And they're going to show how, uh, just really, just how lowly he really is. He can't speak with us. He doesn't use the $10 word. And again, they're not, they don't believe what they're going to ask him, and yet they're going to try to embarrass him in what they think he believes. So verse 19, Master, Moses wrote unto us, so now they're going to quote Deuteronomy 25. By the way, the Sadducees only, and when it comes to the Scripture, they only believed in the book of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. They did not believe in any of the rest of the book. They only dwelled there because that's the Pentateuch and that's where God spoke. They don't believe in any of the other stuff, okay, which is a problem when they ask this question, and watch the Lord just smack them upside the head. If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, that is true. 
That is what Deuteronomy, what Moses teaches, because it has to do with the issue of inheritance. And it has to do with every, the inheritance staying in the family. Okay? Now, watch what they're going to where they're going. Again, now, they don't believe in the resurrection. Christ does. All right? So, if you believe in the resurrection, then, what do you do about this hypothetical situation? Verse 20. Now there were seven brethren. The first took a wife, and dying left no seed. The second took her, and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, likewise, and the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. Okay, so here's the situation. We've got seven brothers, and one had the wife, and she just got passed down through all seven. No seed, no that, all right? That's the hypothetical. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Oh, we got him. We got him right here, see? Now, again, they don't believe in the resurrection. The Lord does. So here's your problem, Jesus. If the seven have her as wife, in the resurrection over there, who does she belong? Who's wife? See, we got you. We got you. Okay? We got you. We got him. We got him. He could, there's no answer to this. There's no, I mean, there's no way anybody would have ever come up with this kind of a hypothetical. We got him. Verse 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Ah. Oh, do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scripture, neither the power of God. Look at, he doesn't answer directly yet. What does he do? He says, you guys are wrong. You're erred because you don't know the Scripture, and you don't know the, nor the power of God. You've, had, you've made a mistake because you don't know anything about what the Bible says. By the way, if you don't know what the Bible says, you're going to make mistakes. Now, they thought they did. They're quoting Deuteronomy 25. Again, that's what made, but yet they, they, they demonstrate here that they know nothing about Scripture and, or nor, the power of God. What scripture can do. They don't know the whole issue here. They don't know what the scripture says. So the whole issue surrounds their ignorance of God's word and what God's word says he's going to do. They don't know any of it. They've erred. So watch the Lord answer them. Verse 25, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Now, now you're talking about watch a bunch of foolish theologians break their fool necks. They break it on this verse, spiritual necks, sorry, not literal necks, okay? I've been told I'm a little combative here lately, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> and calm it down, all right? 
Why? Because this is a loaded verse if you what? Err not knowing what the Scripture says, nor the power of God. Now notice carefully what he says. For when they shall rise, what? From the dead. Notice he doesn't say of the dead. First of all, you know that he believes in a resurrection. Again, the Sadducees don't know the scripture. Because you get outside, actually he's going to demonstrate even in Genesis through Deuteronomy, there's resurrection of the dead. They don't know that. But what does he say? What does the Lord say? For when they shall rise from the dead. They're going to rise. There's resurrection. That's number one. But then number two, from the dead, not of the dead. Now, the Lord, since chapter 9, has been telling the apostles he's rising from the dead. If it is of the dead, then that means all the dead are coming up. Okay, that's what the modernists say, that's what the Sadducees would say. There is a general resurrection of the dead. That means everybody's coming. Uh, uh, come over to John 5, all right? No, but he doesn't say that. He says what? From the dead. Some are going to be resurrected and some aren't. Some are left dead. That's why in Revelation 20, there's a first resurrection of who? The righteous, the martyrs, the Old Testament saints, those that are killed and martyred through the 70th week. And then after a thousand years, what do we have? We have another resurrection of the damned, death and hell. Look at John 5, verse 24. So, He's getting them because they don't know the scripture. They don't know what the power, they don't know what God's doing. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, and again, I say it every time I read that, verily, verily, pay attention. Don't run through this verse. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of of the Son of God, and they that here shall live. Verse 29. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of, what? Life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of, two resurrections there. Revelation 20, resurrection of life. Revelation 20, great white throne judgment, resurrection of the damnation. So when you come back here to Mark 12, see, here's the deal. First of all, there is a resurrection, but it's not of the dead where it's a general thing and everybody, it's from the dead. So there's going to be a believer resurrection and then the damned resurrection. Now, look at verse 20, uh, Mark 12, verse 25 again. Because here's the condition. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Which, by the way, the Sadducees don't believe in the angels, Acts 23. See how he's just nailing them. You don't believe in a resurrection. 
you don't believe in the angels. You don't believe in anything supernatural. So you know what? You err, and your question is foolish, and it's really demonstrating the hypocrisy of you. Now think about this. By the way, how do you know the angels are real? The book says so. Your word says so, and I believe the word. So they're real, but if you don't believe the scriptures, then guess what you're going to say? They're not real. If they knew anything about scripture, if they believe the scripture, then you know what you'll know? There's resurrection from the dead, the saints, and they'll be just like the angels in heaven, so there'll be no marriage. So it won't matter whether he, she had seven or eight or ten or fifteen husbands. There's no marriage over here for them. Okay? Now watch verse 26. And as touching the dead that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses, see that? Okay? How in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Again, and have ye not read what would they know? That he's God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, what does he tell them there? Verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Now, I read all that, we'll go back there to verse 25 real quick here, that, that thing there about the angels, and then verse 26, the burning bush, well, that's Exodus 3. They know, ex, you'd think they would know Exodus, but you know what he's doing there in Exodus 3 with Moses? He's told Abraham in, in Genesis, a deliverer's going to come out there, okay? And... He's going to deliver your seed from that great horror of darkness down there, Egypt. Moses goes in and tries to help out the cause. He's on the back end of the desert for 40 years, and then the burning bush happens because it's time for him to go in and now do what he should. He's trying to help God. It didn't work. But what did, he, what did God tell Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I, you will be with me. In, out there in the future. Notice verse 26 carefully. How in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. They are living. He's not saying, I was the God of. He says, I am the God of. You see, they're not dead. They're what? They're in Abraham's bosom. They're waiting for the resurrection. See, they're alive. They're not, whoa, well, you know, come on there, Rick. No, you greatly err. A little statement here of Scripture can clarify, clears up all of that theology fog, that scholar fog there. And he's demonstrating that the simplicity of what the Scripture says can defeat human viewpoint. They don't want to believe it. And that's what he's exposing. The hypocrisy. I am the God of. Not I was. 
Again, now he's talking to Moses in the burning bush. And there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still alive. Now, they're not on the earth, obviously, but they're alive. So, by the way, the Sadducees would say, when you die, you cease to exist. We know people like that, soul sleepers and so forth. And it's like, wait a minute. He said, I am. They're still alive. The Sadducees don't believe the scripture, so therefore they don't believe the what? They don't believe the they don't believe the resurrection. They don't believe the power of it. And that's what he's doing here. They haven't, they greatly erred. They haven't read the book of Moses, Exodus 3. It's fascinating there. They've missed it. Now, come back to just a couple things here to kind of clean all this up. If you look there at verse 25 again, okay, marriage, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. That is the condition of the little flock in the kingdom for eternity. It is the same condition for you and I in the church, the body of Christ. When, you, when we are in the presence of the Lord, and when we're in the heavenly places, we will not be married to our spouse. Why? Because brothers and sisters don't marry. There's no... The reason for marriage, Genesis 1, is to go out there and to have kids and fill up the earth. When the church, the body of Christ, is in her place, and the, the true Israel of God, the little flock, is in her place... There's no need to add to those numbers. They're complete. Now, the Gentiles that believe Israel and are on, they increase. Isaiah 9, you've you got to kind of think about this. I, I honestly, look, look back here at Isaiah 9. I honestly, and this is just one verse of many that you can look at, but it's also the one that's on the Christmas cards right now. Um, I just, I honestly don't think people think this stuff through. They get caught up in the, theolog the theological fog of making it into something that it isn't, that they just don't common sense this thing out. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Now, by the way, Wonderful, comma. The New Bibles pull that comma out, make, it, make him Wonderful Counselor, and they do away with that five titles of, of the Messiah. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Do you see the increase? Somebody's increasing. Well, it isn't the little flock, because they're set, and it isn't us. We're in heavenly places. It's who? It's a Gentile population. There's no more sickness. There's no more war. There's no more death. And, and the, they just keep having kids, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Okay? So when you come back here and he says marriage is in the kingdom over there, when they rise, which is where they're rising, they're right, resurre right, being resurrected into the kingdom, marriage is not 
the issue. Okay? Now, how do you know that? As, but are, as the angels which are in heaven. So now we're going to, now we're, now they use the verse to say, see, angels are sexless. And that ain't scripture. Because what do we know in Genesis 6? That the angel, the fallen angels, left their first estate, visited the daughters of men, and what do we have? We have giants and all that stuff happening. Okay? Angels, Revelation 21, well, actually, you're in Mark. Look over at Mark 16. Mark 16. In verse, Mark 16, we'll go to Revelation 21. Mark 16. Verse 1, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome uh, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So they go to the sepulcher. Verse 5, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young, what? What did they see? A young man sitting, okay, on the right side, clothed in a long way. All of the other, past, all of, uh, the other gospels talk about it. They see angels. One will say one, two. There's two of them sitting there, one at the head, one at the feet. But wh how, what is the appearance of them? A young man. Revelation 21 and verse 17. Now, Revelation 21, we're in the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21, 17. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. So, in Scripture, men, the angels, have the appearance of a man. That's why Daniel would look across the way, Ezekiel would look across the river, and they would see a man standing there, and it's the angel of the Lord, because he's a man. That's what he looks like, okay? Now, go back to Mark, 15, Mark 12, sorry, because there's a piece in this verse, when you talk about the angels, that gets overlooked doesn't get read, doesn't go to church, okay? And that's the part where he says the angels which are in heaven, okay? So in Genesis 6, who left their first estate? Their first estate's heaven. The fallen angels leave. They're no longer the angels in heaven. By the way, angels do not have wings. The only winged angel in your scripture carries the title of wicked, Capital W. So if you have a winged angel, you're worshiping wicked. <laughs> okay, anyway. Take the, now, cherubims and seraphims, and ter, they all do, and the creatures and so forth, but angels don't. And everybody, oh, my guardian angel. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit, a little better than the garden angel. Okay. The point is, is in Genesis 6, when those angels leave their first estate, they left where? Heaven. By the way, they're no longer in heaven. They've been cast out, held in chains of darkness down there at the bottom end of the universe. Okay? That just helps you understand that there's things going on in Genesis. The gene when that angel came in, 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 with the daughters of men and they produced giants, that's pre-flood. After flood, they do it again because giants roam the land. 
that genetic engineering there, okay, that just in the last 25, 30 years, science that we know have caught up to it, cloning and all that DNA manipulation, all that stuff, okay, you read about it and everybody, oh, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be playing God. Well, that's happening back here in Genesis. We're just now catching up. Anyway, so just don't miss the angels which are in heaven. So we're back to, hey, this is the condition, Revelation 21, out in the new. What's the marriage going to be like for the nation of Israel? There is none. There won't be. They have their jobs, and they're off, and they're doing it. And there's no need to add to their numbers because they are a set deal. Okay? Now, go back with me to... Uh, verse 26, Mark 12, 26. And it's touching the dead that they rise. Have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake? You see that thing about in the book of Moses? So come to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And read probably the best verse on the issue of the doctrine of inspiration and the doctrine of preservation, it sits in one verse. Matthew 22, verse 31. He says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and so forth. So same passage. But notice how the verse reads. Spoken unto you by what? God. That is a definition, a theological definition of the issue of inspiration. God breathed. The Greek and all that. Okay, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration. And the, the theologians and everybody, that's God breathed. God knew us. And well, here, spoken unto you by who? By God. What did God do? God took deity language and thought, spirit, and he put it down into human, human language and thought, caused it to be written on the page, and these guys, and, and that's the issue of inspiration. Then you have preservation. Have ye not read that which was spoken? So what do they have? They have a copy. They don't have the original of what God spoke back there in Exodus 3. By the way, they have it. What they have in front of them is not even in the original Hebrew language that they had back in Exodus 3 because the Hebrew language has been brutalized over the years. I mean, you think, you think what the Chaldeans, the Babylonians did to the Hebrew language. They just butchered it. You know how we have an American, we're not really, we speak English, but it's not Britain English. It's American English. If you talk to someone who speaks French, and you say I'm a Canadian, that's not French. It's a Canadian, you know, um, Splanglish. <laughs> okay, you know that whole. That's what they did to the Hebrew language. It's been it's been manipulated. It's been changed. It's been brutalized over the years. And yet, what does the Savior say? The Lord say to these guys, "You haven't read your Scripture. That copy is Scripture." You're holding the word of God in your hands, in your language, and you're not getting it. Okay? 
by the way, God didn't just write and speak the words and then they disappeared. You and I, if it wasn't for the video and the taping, I would speak and they would go what? Boom, gone. The other day, we're, I asked Linda a question. I don't even remember the question now. And she answered me. And I said, what did you say? And she goes, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, you know, I think Dad's right. We need a tape recorder running all the time so we can hear all the smart things we say. You know, why? Because he didn't do that. He caused them to be written down, preserved, so you have a record of it. Also, by the, he never intended his word to only be in one language and with one nation. He never intended that. Rather, he intended it to be available in all languages to all nations. And uh, that's why, by the way, God's the one that created language, so he would have it in there. And you see that like in, in Romans 16 with Paul making known the, the obedience of faith to all nations. Well, how do you do that? It can't be all in Greek because the world doesn't all speak Greek. You have to have it in that language. Okay? Now, go back to Mark 12. Just a couple clarifying thoughts there of no significance other than I know that those things get raised in conversation. Okay? Then, so verse 27 he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. And that, that's the what happens when you don't read the book and you don't believe the book. The only way to know about life after death and supernatural things is from the word of God. That's the only way. If you run into something, you have to have somebody or someone tell you what that means. That's why your Bible is the greatest textbooks of types and pictures and signs out ever written. The only way to have somebody tell you what that means, you don't know what it is, so somebody's got to tell you what that is outside of it. Boom, and that's what the Word does. Then verse 28, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? So here's the next guy up. And this one here, this gentleman, this scribe, has more of a, of a want to know than a try to get you. And we'll pick up here after the first and uh, look at this, okay? He's been, they've been asking him questions. He's been nailing them. He's been getting them. They're going to ask him a question here. And then in verse 35, and he's going to ask them a question. And from that point forward, they don't ever ask him another one because he asked them one. They've asked him a bunch. He goes, I got one for you. Can you answer this? And they're like, if we say this, he's going to get us. And if we say that, he's going to get us. So we, ain't say, we just don't know. And we'll deal with that next. They can't answer him, so they just leave him be. And we'll get that next time, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the study tonight, for the folks that gathered to look into these things, and for all that we have in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen.